This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. We've been looking forward to this conversation because when it comes to understanding the startup world, how online and tech are reinventing so much of what we do and how we do it, this next guest definitely comes to mind. Co-founder of PayPal, was CTO of the company, was chairman of Yelp for about 11 years from its founding days, was on Yahoo's board, founder and CEO of Slide, which was sold to Google. We're talking about Max Levchin, who today is founder and CEO of a firm. He joins us on the phone from San Francisco. Max, delighted to have you here with us. First of all, Tell us a little bit about how you're doing, your family, your employees. How's everything going? Great, great to be with you. Thank you. Uh, you know, I have to say, knocking on wood, we've been extremely lucky. A firm transitioned to work from home seamlessly, almost, almost perfectly, really, and uh, we've been able to support our partners and our customers and our employees throughout this process, generally without too many crazy fire drills. So all in, I feel very lucky and I'm certainly aware of companies where all sorts of upheaval already took place. And, you know, I think some of this is just getting started too. Well, and Max, it's interesting. I mean, it comes at at a fascinating time for you where there's so much momentum around what you're doing at a firm and you have this pretty incredible window into consumer spending. First of all, remind us exactly how a firm works, and then we'll get into sort of what you're seeing uh, through some of that data. Sure. Uh, a firm serves primarily a young, younger audience, as in our customers are primarily millennials and Gen Xers and, and so forth. And we're really a credit card alternative. Uh, you would find this if you're buying a Peloton or if you're shopping at walmart.com. And really every in between, we are there in the checkout uh, page, sometimes on the product page, where if you don't use your credit card and would like to pay for an item or items over time <clears throat> with great degree of simplicity, everything is clearly priced. There are no fees of any kind. They're not even late fees. So it's a product that really was built on this idea that if we communicate very clearly to our customers what it takes to pay something over time, they would choose us over credit cards. And, and we've been at it for eight years point we have many thousands of merchants that work with us and many 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 millions of customers billions of dollars of these transactions that we processed and so we do see sort of demand in retail primarily online although we have a meaningful presence offline as well and so you're right we we, we have some uh, some fascinating staff that we're observing well, let's get into that. Tell us about, because, you know, Jason and I have talked about just kind of on our own world what we're spending money on right now. And earlier we talked about, you know, that millennials in particular might stop with all the experiences and they're going to be spending on their home and other things because that's going to be the world we're living with and, and you're not going to be able to travel easily. What are some of the data points that you guys are seeing about where people are spending their money right now? So you pretty much nailed this, I have to say. I think the, the, the headline is exactly right. Uh, Millennials, and, and, and we're not just serving millennials, but many of our customers are sort of on the younger side, but everyone is sort of turned inwards. So if you are setting up your home office, your home gym, your home restaurant, or your you know, at least the kitchen part of your home restaurant, that is growing off the charts. So just to give you some stats, home office sales that we are processing is up 200%. Um, overall, sort of homewares from mattresses to furniture to decoration, you know, everything that you might have, want to have to make your home nicer you know, about 20%, but there's some segments that are just incredibly high demand right now. So kitchen supplies, for example, are up 70%. Apparently, everyone has to bake and make their right. auto starters. And so uh, sure enough, there's lots and lots of things that you need for that, including bread makers, which is one of the top categories, apparently. <laughs> uh, fitness, you know, as you bake, you need to burn the calories too. So across the board, you know, 
obviously Peloton is a uh, one of the publicly traded companies that that's done extraordinarily well in that category. But Mirror and Tonal and all these other merchant partners of ours are all reporting huge growth. The overall category is up 163%, which is you know, that, that, that's an incredible growth given how big it already is. Um, I can sort of go on, on and on. The sort of the, the the losers on the other side, or sort of the unfortunate ones, are also quite predictable. Um, clothing, you know, no one needs to wear pants on Zoom, and so uh, <laughs> most you know, you know, most people seem to be not shopping for for fashion. Um, uh, there's actually there's a footnote. I'll come back to that in a second. But clothing is down. Travel is decimated. Really yeah. decimated in the sense that it's well than ninety percent down. Let's jump back into our conversation now with Max Levchin. He is the CEO of a firm, co-founder of PayPal, a stalwart of Silicon Valley. We want to talk with him more expansively about some of his experience and what happens next. But Max, before we leave a firm, I do want to ask you, this has brought into sharp relief a lot of trends within buying and retail and merchants so many things. I do wonder from your perspective, what does this accelerate or what does it accentuate, I guess, when it comes to the future of buying from the merchant side of things? Lots of different things. Uh, it could be a multi-hour uh, yeah. at this point. What's so the most things. important thing then? <laughs> uh, I think just vis-a-vis your, your conversation about the Olympics, um, I think every major retailer with a significant presence offline is going to have to reinvent themselves from both logistical and real estate management perspective where showrooms are going to become warehouses and front of the house is going to become fulfillment of the house. And so there's just lots and lots of major movement that has to take place, especially for folks with large real estate holdings. And then while they're doing this, they're going to have to retool themselves for existence that involves buy online, pick up and store, buy over mail, return and store. And all these new processes that used to be exceptions are now going to be front and center because people are not going to be comfortable walking around a large store with a salesperson in their face. And so as this takes place, I think it's going to create massive opportunities for people that create software that runs these sort of systems and connects the dots between different warehouses and fulfillment pipelines and things like that. So I think that's probably the, the, the thing that I'm hearing about more and more in just the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Crisis creates, you know, certainly disruption and innovation. And because you kind of have to figure out a new way to do it, and you have to do it fast if you're going to survive. I do wonder too, Max, when you look at specific retail categories, like I look at big department stores, are people going to want to go back? And I know that's easy for me to say because I live in an urban environment and I have lots of options. But I do wonder, and you know, if you're out in suburbia, that's where you go to, you know, if you want to go to a brick and mortar. But I do wonder what your thoughts on uh, uh, about, you know, like department stores on the other side of this who are already in a beaten down state. I think the weak will absolutely go out of business. I don't, I don't think that's a, that's a question at this point. The strong ones will innovate. I think. It's an opportunity for those that want to double down on the physical retail and create the impression, hopefully the reality of safety. You know, maybe instead of having a physical salesperson, you'll have an you know iPad on wheels rolling around with you in a store and telling you where to look. You know, I think the physical distancing and concern for just personal safety is going to prevail, but it's not as though we aren't going to get out of the house, especially as soon as we're allowed to do so. It's just we're going to pick places where we feel safer, where we feel like we are likely to get what we need fulfilled and uh not expose ourselves any more than we absolutely must. It's just, you know, trips to the grocery stores have never really ended because people need to eat. People are going to go buy, you know, pans again. They're just going to choose stores where they feel the safest and uh, that they're going to get in and out and get, get the things done. 
Right. Max, I do wonder, I mean, especially given your experience and, and history and, you know, you're there on the front lines of, of Silicon Valley. You've watched, I'm sure, with great interest as we have. All of us as a society sort of wrestle with technology over the last few years and the role that it plays and the good and, and the bad. I do wonder how this, in your estimation, this pandemic has changed our relationship with technology. What do we know more about? What do we think more about as we go forward, especially given what you just said as it relates to brick and mortar and sort of that physical experience? I think everything, all the choices we have to make are brought into sharper relief. And I think right now we are in this extreme triage mode where, you know, you can have a video conferencing company that has a well-known fairly significant security bug, and everybody says, well, that's a real problem, but I'm still going to get on my call right now because I have to run my business or I need to do this or that. And so many choices that we make are going to be extremely utilitarian and far less theoretical. Yes, I care about my privacy. No, I'm not going to hang up because I need to finish this negotiation or this contract. As we sort of get into a little bit more normalcy or get used to the new normal, we are going to get back to sort of a little bit more navel-gazing and questioning, you know, are we making the right trade-offs? That said, I think, you know, even the conversation around will Google and Apple, you know, the product we're working on to trace contacts, mm -hmm. is that going to be a major privacy violation or not? I think in the world where we're canceling Olympics, which to me is a sort of a you know, cornerstone event that defines society because we just can't guarantee safety, I think we should double down and lean into technology that will allow us to enable such events again. So I, I think in that sense, I'm, I'm a big technology bull. That said, I think over time, as we get used to things, we will probably uh, start questioning some of the decisions we're making. Well, and that's interesting. So what are some of the big technology things that you think will be kind of part of our normal world that allows us to get back to normal? I know, you know, beyond masks and social distancing, um, what do you anticipate? I think there's going to be all kinds of really amazing innovation. I think things like contactless ways of opening doors, ways of clearing security, ways of not having to take your mask off to identify yourself, ways to make sure that your privacy is in fact preserved when you are being alerted about being too close to someone who's later on been diagnosed. Things like tracing locations, you know, to make sure that you're actually honest about your quarantine. There are all sorts of things that are going to make us uncomfortable from the privacy point of view, but are going to be very, very powerful as far as allowing society to feel that things are a little bit safer. On a sort of different side of the spectrum, I think news and radio and all the content that we have to consume, you know, even the notion of truth in the content we receive from the various forms of waves is going to really matter. People are hungry for, you know, is the vaccine story that I just heard about real or is, is that being confirmed? So there's a lot of societal impact that I'm seeing that technology, I think, has an important responsibility, let alone a right to play it. I have to say, I just I mean, talked talked with a major uh, PR executive who said facts need to be put into the bloodstream uh, because we've just gotten to a point where there is a lot of misinformation. And I, I think it just, you know, um, pivots well off of what you just said. I think uh, we are extremely, extremely hungry for honesty and clarity. And you know, epidemiologists' job is to tell you very uncomfortable things that you really, really have to believe when you can't see them. Right. I think that's, uh, that, 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 is, that, is, that is what we, we have to enable at this point. 
Right. All right. Well, we've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Max Levchin, excuse me, Max Levchin is the chief executive officer of Affirm, co-founder of PayPal. He joined us on the phone from San Francisco. Uh, You can see why he's been so successful in all of these technology companies, because he is always thinking around the corner uh, in many ways, uh, Carol, and understanding it the implications of where we are. And I think the one of the most important things he said was sort of differentiating between this triage moment and then when we get on the other side are able to take a breath and figure out, you know, what are we doing? What are we comfortable with? What are we not comfortable with? That's going to be critical here. Well, and technology as simple as opening doors and things like that. So I love it. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. All right, you are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Well, our previous conversation, I love it when it happens like this, sort of teases us up for our next conversation mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, another guest, very familiar in the tech world and now in the fitness world. We're talking about Fritz Landman. He is the CEO of ClassPass. Joining us on the phone from Montana and Carol, in our conversation with Max Levchin, he talked about at-home fitness booming. Uh, he mentioned Peloton. Yeah. And obviously fitness, very close to the heart for you and me, both on the boutique side and on the in-home side. Fritz, great to have you with us. Such a timely conversation. We really appreciate it. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. First of all, got to ask you, what's it like uh, in Montana? I trust you're well, your family's well. Uh, Give us a sense of it because you are in a very different place than we are here in the tri-state area. Yeah, ClassPass is distributed across New York, San Francisco, and Montana here in, in the United States, as well as London, Singapore, and various international cities. We have a big office here. It's been a great place, to be honest, to be experiencing this catastrophe and this, this uh, pandemic because, first, there's natural social distancing. Yeah. And second, the, the governor, Governor Bullock, uh, was extremely proactive in shutting down schools uh, and then eventually shutting down the state, at, you know, even including our, our partner gyms and fitness studios and restaurants, which um, has led to this Montana having the lowest per capita uh, rate of infection of any state in America. So it's it's been a good place to ride ride things out, still able to go hiking and fly fishing and stuff like that on the weekend. Yeah, right. So kind of a a much more normal life than (laughs) what some of us have been living through. So I wouldn't te- call it normal. I mean, my, my wife, you know, has our four-year-old toddler here, and uh, I don't think she would call it normal. Yeah. Uh, but uh, And certainly running a fitness company during a pandemic is right now anything but normal. But um, it's as good as one could hope for. Yeah. Well, let's t- well, talk to us, too, about the usage rates and what you're seeing on your platform. Uh, as more folks, we've talked, Jason and I have talked a lot about it. Uh, I've done yoga classes online um, through Zoom. And, you know, we're all figuring out how to stay fit while at home and sheltering in place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been, you know, extremely disruptive. Obviously, we, you know, for those, those listeners who don't know what ClassPass is, it's, it's basically the Netflix of fitness. So you pay a monthly subscription. And you can access our entire network of, you know, 30,000 different gyms and fitness studios across hundreds of cities, across 30 countries, anywhere in the world. So it really unlocks access to variety. Uh, but all of those classes historically were these offline classes, right? You'd go to the studio, you'd go to the gym, uh, and you'd go to a different place. With these shutdowns, you know, it's been devastating for our, our, our business because over 95% of our partners, you know, we went from having the fastest growth, you know, really robust momentum. We raised the big financing in December to suddenly we started to see the outbreaks happen to our Asia markets um, in February. 
and it just you know rolled through then through Western Europe, then emerged in Seattle and San Francisco, and then rolled through uh, the U.S. Ninety-five percent of our studio and gym partners have been forced by the government, you know, to close and, and to shutter their operations for the time being. So, you know, obviously it's been devastating for the fitness industry and, and really all of us have had to scramble to try to pivot and try to help each other get through it. And that's why we pivoted to launching a live stream video fitness platform and also why we launched a donation system, you know, with, a, with matching of up to a million dollars for our customers to just donate to these studios and gyms to help them get to the other side of this disruption. So hopefully they, you know, a lot of them are now monetizing video workouts through ClassPass to our customers who are using Zoom or Instagram Live or YouTube Live. Um, and a lot of our customers, you know, are just donating to these studios to help them get through it. Right, because I mean, I think it's it's easy to forget, Fritz, to to some extent, for a lot of folks out there, that many of these are are just straight up small businesses. They got to pay rent. They've got a small uh, staff. You know, often contractors or you know a small number of of full time employees. What are you hearing, at least at this point? You know, six, seven, eight weeks in, depending on on where you are, about how generally people's ability to, to sort of hang on at, at least to now, what sort of rates are you seeing of people just saying, you know what, I'm out? Great question. You know, that's probably the single biggest question for our business. You know, question one is probably how, how many of our customers will move to these video workouts and then stay there once these markets come back. And question two is really how many of our partner gyms and fitness studios can get through these periods of shutdowns, given that you know, I saw a report saying the average retail business only has a month of, of mm-hmm. cash, you know, on the balance sheet. Um, and, you know, really, we've been encouraged, to be honest. Now, it's too early for us to celebrate, but we have been encouraged uh, by the fact that here we are between, you know, five and eight weeks into the shutdown. And, you know, out of our 30,000 partners, it's been in the tens of digits, not the hundreds or even thousands, which is or tens of thousands, which is what we were worried about that shoe could drop any day. And yeah. so, you know, it's too early to declare victory and success there. But we've been encouraged by, you know, one, our partners have moved very aggressively, including on some really painful cost-cutting measures, right? So they've moved aggressively in terms of launching these live streams. And now ClassPass is sending out material revenue to these, to these partners, and they're having their instructors give these classes from home or from their apartment or, uh, you know, wherever, um, and we've been able to get a pretty big audience, you know, over two thirds of the thousands of partners who have launched these have started seeing reservations and revenue from, from live streaming. So we think that's helping. We think, you know, obviously our donation program and also asking our customers and their own customers to buy gift cards in advance. Yeah. We've seen many people do that for the restaurant industry. And then you combine that with, uh, with, with the stimulus. And, you know, internationally, I'd say Western Europe, the stimulus packages have been very strong. Uh, and in the U.S., they've been very aggressive and fast. We've been pleasantly surprised there. I think globally, they're still, it's still waiting to shake out to see how big of an impact is that right. going to have. Um, a lot of our partners have had problems accessing the stimulus, yeah. figuring out how to even apply for it, you know, don't know where they are. But, but so far, so good. You know, knock on wood, we're, right. we're cautiously optimistic that most of them will survive as the federal government step up and say to these folks, Hey, basically, put your business right. in the sleep mode. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Still with us, Fritz Landman, CEO of ClassPass, on the phone from Montana. So, Fritz, I do wonder, you know, on the other side of this, wherever that may be, 
what does this look like to to some extent, especially as people get used to working out at home, maybe more so than they did before? Carol and I are, as I said at the top, like big fans of boutique, but also big fans of working out yeah. uh, at home. And, and I do wonder what's sort of permanently different or, or at least different in the short to midterm once, once new normal sets in. It's a great question. And, uh, you know, one that the team and I are, are, are asking each other, you know, constantly. I think, I think our expectation is that the future is heterogeneous, right? You have both digital options and you have real world options. From the real world standpoint, you just you cannot beat the immersiveness, the sense of community, right. the sense of accountability of being in that studio, having an instructor, having all of that specialized equipment. You know, most people cannot afford to have a weight system, a treadmill, um, you know, a boxing bag, right? So all of that gear, a, a Pilates reformer machine. So there's a level of immersiveness in offline that I just don't believe digital is anywhere near capturing. And, and I say this as a happy consumer of digital products myself, including my own live stream classes. The advantages digital have is obviously there's no geographic constraints. So now I can take classes in London. And indeed, many of our customers, about half the thousands of customers who are taking these live stream classes are taking them in cities outside of their own city. And, and Interesting. I think 10 to 15% so far are even taking them from other countries, which is pretty cool. So you have that advantage and you have a big convenience and, and tend to have a price advantage. And one interesting thing we're seeing is it seems like digital, it's easier to unlock that social experience with your friends. So in offline workouts, people tend to build community with strangers and they become hmm. a part of their sort of fitness social group. Um, with online or digital, uh, at least on our platform, it's very easy for you to invite college friends, you know, from a different town or people you used to work with or high school buddies or whatever to join you for a workout. And it's a great way to kind of socialize. So our anticipation is that the future is going to be both. Um, this pandemic probably did accelerate the trial, at least, if not persistent adoption of digital, you know, as an experience. But we do not think uh, the offline world is going away anytime soon because it's just such a more immersive experience. We think most people will, will mix and match. Well, and I do wonder if it you bring in different audiences as a result. Is it just a case of the existing folks who were going to offline classes are now also doing online? Or is it do you bring in different audiences? Because, mm. uh, you know, and that for gym owners or fitness centers and for you guys, you know, that's a way of expanding really your potential user base and your revenue base. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have free audio and video workouts in our app and you no longer have to be a subscriber to use ClassPass for this live live streaming. It's, it's pay as you go. So we've certainly seen an influx of people just downloading the app to access our free runs, you know, our audio coaching so that you can go to the park and go for a workout um, or you're in your garage or whatever, or those who want to actually do take a live stream. It certainly opened us up to an expanded audience. And I think, you know, what makes ClassPass magical not only is the fact that you can access these different varieties, right? So one day I can do boxing. The next day I can go to a traditional right. gym and hit a treadmill or weightlifting. And the next day I can do some recovery, do some yoga, right? That same heterogeneity, that same ability for me to figure out the routine that works best for me and offline, we see that applying to digital experiences as well. Sometimes maybe I'm okay doing a video on demand class, not live. Sometimes I want that live coach 
feedback and interaction and sense of community from a digital live stream. Or maybe sometimes I'm okay going to the park and just having an audio coach in my ear, no video whatsoever, coaching me on a run or, or on a workout. So we really think the future is everybody figures out the optimal routine for him or her self. But one thing I will say is there's nothing like the efficiency of having a coach there, right? Totally. The biggest fitness results have always become from those who are able to afford personal training. If everyone could afford personal training six days a week, everyone would be in a lot the best possible yeah. that's, <laughs> that's, that's true. unrealistic for most of us, right? That's unrealistic. So so we think a lot of it's going to just be budget-based. You know, people will go offline as much as they can afford because that is going to be the best experience, you know, and then they'll augment or supplement with online. All right. We really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Fritz Landman is the Chief Executive Officer of ClassPass, joining us on the phone from Montana. Certainly someone we want to keep in touch with, Carol. Can I just say what I love? I love what he said about, you know, it's now it's easy to invite on an, in an online class like your college roommates. Yeah, totally. Your work world. And I've done that. You know, people I've gone to on a yoga retreat who are all over the country, all over the world. My yoga teacher has recreated that through Zoom. And so yeah. here we are all, all together again. Normally we see each other like once a year. So think about the options of what you can do. I even thought, oh, we could – I could just host a family event. You right. know, like it's just – um, well, and I know that this is a, a quasi-competitor to, to ClassPass, but mm-hmm. remember when we did Peloton Homecoming last year, mm-hmm. you had all these people coming to New York for the first time meeting each other. Right. You know, these communities that they created sort of unwittingly, uh, and and clearly there were some situations where it was family getting together, but, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the strangers plus the family. And, and look, I, I do hope that... On the other side of this, from a personal perspective, people do appreciate fitness and wellness a a little bit more because health is at the core of all this. And I do, you know, kidding aside, worry about like the quarantine 15 and things like that and sort of the mental health and the physical health uh, that can be uh, really troubling in in a time like this. So uh, good to catch up with Fritz Landman.